Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jordan. Had a great weekend and, and emerging into a new week. We've gotten some rain, mm-hmm. which is a big praise. And, uh, uh, you know, for some of us, the issues of rain are like, oh, my lawn is starting to dry out. But then there are those for whom rain really affects their livelihood. And yeah. so I'm um, very thankful for the uh, reminder that God nourishes our planet and uh, very thankful for rain. So how are you doing, man? I'm great. I'm great. Yeah, we are imminently expecting a baby, so we're so cool. Yeah, we've been nesting, but uh, thankfully, I, I married a very capable and wonderful and wise wife. So we are we are ready. It's, you really uh, did. You you you. Uh, as one person put it in football terms, you outkicked your coverage. Yeah. when you married Taylor. <laughs> yeah, and I did. So she is wonderful. <laughs> so I'm excited for you as your family is is growing and. Um, what a blessing this is going to be. We're so excited for you guys. Thank you. Thank you. So the scripture passage from this weekend was really short, just two verses. So it was Mark 1, 16 through 17. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So your sermon on Sunday, Jeff, the main theme of it was really about holiness. What mm. what does holiness mean? That's a really good question, and it's one of my favorite questions to answer. And to, to answer your question, um, I'll frame it the way I've framed it in Bible studies for years, by asking, what is the opposite of holy? Uh, so you always have somebody in that context that says unholy and they're right. You know, there's one in every (laughs) class, but, um, to kind of flesh out the idea of holiness, you know, in thinking about what is the opposite of holy, the opposite of holy is this common. Mm -hmm. So holy literally means set apart. So in our context, set apart for service unto God, set apart for for God's purposes. And so when God makes us holy, what he is doing is he is setting us apart for his purposes. Now, there are some things that come with that, that because of God's perfection, because of God's inability to tolerate or be around sin, um, there is there is this separation from sin that must occur, this cleansing that must occur. And so when you look back in Judaism, how did that cleansing occur? Well, it occurred by sacrifice. It occurred sometimes through ritual washing. It occurred sometimes by what the leaders in the Old Testament would say, consecrate yourselves, uh, which means what? It means set yourselves apart. Don't be common like the rest of the world. Even Israel was set apart to God. You shall be to me, God said, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So what is God doing? Out of all the nations of the earth, out of all the peoples of the earth, you will be my special people. And so again, Holy means set apart unto God. The opposite of holy is common. So when Jesus came to very ordinary places and to very ordinary people, what was he doing? Well, he was inviting them into the kingdom of God so that they could be set apart unto God. 
through Christ, the way to God has been open to Jew and Gentile alike. And so we get that same notion that when we come to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, then we become a peculiar people. That's another way of saying it. We are different. We are distinct. We are holy, set apart to God. So, so that's what holy means. It, it simply means uncommon, uh, set apart to God for his purposes and for his glory. Yeah, and you touched on how the Jewish people were set apart, were made holy, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're better. And actually, it doesn't mean that they're better than the nations. It means that they were set apart. That is, they were given a specific task. They were to be the light to the nations. Yes. The same way the the priesthood within Israel yes. was holy, set apart from the rest of the Jewish people. They had a mission to the rest of the Jewish people. The high priest, very specific role for the rest of the priesthood, the rest of the Levites, the rest of Israel, and then the Messiah, same way. He's holy and set apart from the rest of us because he has a particular mission to us. That's exactly right. Yeah. So you talked on Sunday about how Jesus went to common places and made them into sacred sites. So mm-hmm. so what makes a, a place holy? Well, again, set up the, the fact that it's been set apart unto God. So when you go to the Holy Land, there's a reason we call it the Holy Land. Um, uh, it is, uh, in the most generic of terms, um, <laughs> viewed by the three major monotheistic religions as one of the holiest places on the planet. Um, let me be very clear. Uh, I, I do not believe that the God worshipped by all three um, monotheistic religion, religions is the same ontological deity. That's a different discussion for a different day. But nevertheless, you have this land. You know, you go to Jerusalem. God said, there shall my name dwell. Uh, God set that city apart. God sent David um, to rout out the Jebusites and to establish his rule from Jerusalem. And God told David and then Solomon that the temple should be built on Moriah. Um, and so God is the one who set apart that city for his purposes. And, and when you go into Jerusalem, I mean, there is an absolute sense that, um, I don't know, this intangible sense that this city is different. The city is different. And, and, and of course, there's remarkably secular components to the city, but there's still a sense that, that this city is different. Um, so all these sacred sites um, that have been set apart where things happened, where you know people believe that Jesus was born or people believe that Jesus died and rose again. I mean, there, there's just there's this sense that something, happened here where heaven and earth kind of collided. And so this site is set apart. It is distinct from all the other sites. Uh, You know, it's kind of like in Jewish tradition, the celebration of the Passover. Hmm. You know, the question, what makes this night different? Well, this night's the same as every other night. However, on this night, we remember that God did something miraculous. And so this night is to us a holy night. This experience, this meal is to us a holy meal. And, and the same is true uh, about sacred spaces. So right, right now, we are recording this podcast in the facility of First Baptist Church, which currently sits at the corner of 12th Street and Chestnut in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, tomorrow, as we're recording this, we're recording this on the 12th. Tomorrow's the 13th. Well, tomorrow is technically our 205th birthday 
as a congregation. Now, over the course of our 205 years, we've met in various different locations. We started meeting in people's homes uh, and in various common places around Bowling Green. Then we got a building that was known as the Brick Meeting House that sat in what is now the parking lot of BGMU. Then we moved half a block up and across the street toward the, the square where we had a building for you know three quarters of a century almost um, there in that location. And that building no longer exists. And then we moved here and began worshiping here in 1915. And so 1915 was a long time ago. But when you think about this place, there is a sense of we have worshiped God here. We have seen marriages here. We have honored the lives of those who have gone home to glory here. We've celebrated baptisms here. We've celebrated the Lord's Supper. We've celebrated Christmas Eve and Easter. And there are these major celebrations that have happened in this place. And so this is a holy site to many people who've encountered God here. So what makes this a holy place? Well, God has moved here. And the thing about it is, uh, it may not be holy to everybody in the city, but for those of us who've seen God do great things in our lives and the lives of our family and our church family here, this is sacred space. And so I think that's what makes a site holy, that it has been used by God for His purposes in a way that impacts people's lives. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So holy spaces, what about holy people? Uh, and particularly, I want to ask about the the apostles. So Jesus picked 12 men. They were not learned men. They were not well-educated. They were not... Well, some of them had followed John, but it does not seem that they were full-time disciples of right. John. Right. Uh, he picked men who were not previously full-time disciples, and he made them his disciples. So what what made them special we we talked about how they were fishermen and tax collectors and they were common people but there was something uncommon about them or at least that was cultivated of them yeah you know and I, I think here we're kind of wading into speculation because there's no verse in the bible that says and god chose these people for these these reasons but as we've discussed the the religious culture of jesus's day you know, you've got Pharisees, Sadducees, Zealots, Essenes. Um, you've got various groups of Jewish people who all approach it a little bit differently. You know, the Pharisees would have been your fundamentalists. The Sadducees would have been your theological liberals uh, who deny the miraculous. Um, the Zealots were were still very zealous, even coming back, you know, hearkening back to the intertestamental period and, and the Maccabees and all those sorts of things. And the Essenes had said, we're out. You know, we're going to live as separatists and we're, we're leaving and we're going out into the Judean wilderness where we will establish our own communities and do our own thing because the world is so stained by sin. Um, so I think it's interesting that Jesus gathered disciples that really weren't official representatives of any of those groups. Now, they, they, they had leanings. Of course, they had leanings. They, they had teachers who taught them in, in various ways. But Jesus didn't go to the Sanhedrin to pick out his disciples. He went to the common people, and then he called the common people to be holy. And how did he do that? Well, by making them holy, by first choosing them, by commissioning them, 
and then by empowering them with his Holy Spirit. Um, And I think that there was something beautiful. You know, I mentioned Acts chapter 4, verse 13, that when the people perceived that Simon, Peter, and John were common, uneducated men, they knew that they had been with Jesus. And it could have been that Jesus knew very astutely (laughs) that um, nobody could take credit for these men and what they did in spreading the gospel but God himself. In other words, when people looked at them, they had to say, wow. You know, on the day of Pentecost, when they are speaking all these various languages, it wasn't wonderfully learned people who were speaking these languages. Nobody could say, well, they were in school forever. I'm sure they picked it up. No, it had to be a supernatural event. Um, So I think that could be a reason that Jesus chose them. Um, I'll also say this, that uh, to me it's very encouraging that God could use those folks that he chose um, and that Jesus would choose those folks. You know, the apostles were not perfect people. They did not come from super clean backgrounds. They uh, had resumes that were stained by their own imperfections. And those are the people that Jesus chose and those are the people that Jesus sanctified and used And I think that's very encouraging to the rest of us who also are sinners with imperfect backgrounds uh, and our own struggles. And to know that Jesus is able to sanctify us and use us as well, to me, is deeply encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you were talking about how they weren't official representatives of any of the other sects of Judaism. They were uh, free agents, I guess, in some way. (laughs) That's a good way to put it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard that it's... I've heard that when Jesus talks about, you know, being uh, a new garment or being new wineskins, it's like they were fresh slates. Um, there's there's a another passage from a similar discussion in Jewish tradition uh, in a, a book called Pirkei Avot, where it says, one who learns as a child, to what can he be compared? To ink written on fresh paper. So... <clears throat> And one who learns in old age, to what can he be compared? To ink written on smudged paper. So they weren't children, but huh. you have this, you know, this theme, this thread going through these passages that like it's good to have fresh disciples. It's good to have people who don't have preconceived notions, who can absorb all of the teachings that are being given to them and then transmit them, you know, cleanly, as it were. Well, you think about Nicodemus, for example. And yeah. we know that Nicodemus was compelled by Jesus, obviously because of the interaction in John chapter 3, but then also because of the interaction at Jesus' death and that that Joseph Arimathea and Nicodemus were both um, sympathetic mm-hmm. with Jesus. Um, but Nicodemus had a lot of issues to overcome. I mean, he'd risen high within the ranks, and so... You know, he wouldn't come and meet with Jesus in broad open daylight. He came at night. That's where Nick at night came from. <laughs> but Anyway, um, but he had a lot of issues to overcome. Now, and that's not to say that the other, the disciples, the apostles um, didn't have their own issues to overcome. We all have issues. But when you look at somebody like Nicodemus, 
you know, here's somebody whose livelihood is built upon his theological framework, and that's that's harder to overcome than somebody whose livelihood is catching fish in the Sea of Galilee. And yeah, they're believers, but they don't have this theological framework that has to be overcome. So it's, it's just, it's very interesting to think through all of that. Yeah. And God sees us where we are and gives us the path that he wants to give us. You know, I, I was talking with uh, TJ about just how there's a difference between people who are believers for their whole life and people who come to faith later in life. You know, it's not that one's better than the other. It's that they've been given a particular walk and it's for them to walk it out. Yeah. You know, Nicodemus, you know, he had been uh, a scholar and, you know, had learned from the sages of Israel and ra- was raised thinking in a particular way. So what he was, what was given to him by Jesus was a very particular walk to walk out that was different from the apostles who did have a different um, opportunity given to them to be his 12, as it were. Yeah. Um, Well, and then you think about the last apostle who was named. Yeah. uh, Who did have a lot to overcome and who came to a point, we're talking about Saul of Tarsus, who became known as the apostle Paul. He had a lot to overcome. You know, he was raised up under Gamaliel. I mean, had the best education, had the best pedigree. There are some scholars who believe, now this is not biblical, um, but they believe that that Saul of Tarsus would have been in the room when the Sanhedrin condemned Jesus to death. And we know he was there when Stephen was stoned to death. And we know he was persecuting Christians. But then we can read in some of his epistles in the New Testament just how much he had to give up to come to Jesus. Now, I think there was intentionality behind Jesus choosing Saul when he chose him, when he welcomed him into the kingdom of God and said explicitly, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So each of us has our own story. Saul's story looks much different than Simon Peter's story, um, but God used both of those stories. And so it's, it's a beautiful thing. But you know, we really don't have a, a setting in Scripture other than, you know, when Peter had the vision of at Simon the Tanner's house of the unclean foods coming down and not eating that. We know Peter was was that devoted that he wouldn't eat anything unclean until God said so. Um, but we have explicit reference in the New Testament to Paul saying, I basically have to consider everything that I once deemed so dear to me to be rubbish for the sake of Christ. I had to give it all up. And... Um, that's quite a journey, and God used that journey as well. So just, just it's very interesting that God meets each of us where we are and then by his grace transforms us and takes us where he wants us to be. That's a perfect segue into our listener question for today. Listeners, if you have a question, go to the link in the show notes or comment on the post below. So Jeff, why does Jesus seek out ordinary people? Is there such a thing as an ordinary person? So there is a commonality, again, if the opposite of holy is common, uh, there is a commonality that we all share, and that is that we are sinners in need of a Savior, all of us. It doesn't matter what our religious pedigree looks like. It doesn't matter you know, what degrees we have on the wall, how much money we have or don't have, how much position, power, or authority that we have or don't have. The commonality that unites all of us is that we are sinners in need of a Savior. So there's some sense in which Jesus absolutely seeks the ordinary because we're all ordinary to some degree Mm. or another. 
But I think there's something beautiful about the fact that the Bible says God is not a respecter of persons. So in other words, he doesn't show favoritism because you've curried favor on this earth. You know, there's there's a lot of very wealthy people um, who are looked upon with great favor uh, because of their what they own, what they have, and all those sorts of things. And and you know, the Bible says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Wealth is nothing to him. He's the one that gives wealth, and and he's the one that can take it all away. Just ask Job. Um, but God doesn't look at human beings any differently because they have much or don't have much, because they uh, are well-esteemed or are lowly. Um, he looks at human beings as human beings created by his hands in his image, and he welcomes all of us to come to him. Now, I think Jesus was very clear that for people of great means, um, it's tougher because what did he say? Well, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to come into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because you got to kind of give all that up. In other words, he doesn't say sell all your stuff. So if you are a person of means listening to this, you know, there's no biblical admonition that you should go sell everything. But should you steward those means for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God and for the good of others? Of course you should. I mean, that's, that's very straightforward in scripture. Um, But God is not a respecter of persons because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. So there's some sense in which God comes to only ordinary common people uh, to make us holy. But there's also a great beauty in the fact that God welcomes all people to come to him by repentance and faith and to find forgiveness of sin and everlasting life through Jesus Christ. Um, he's not a respecter of persons in that no one has a leg up on the kingdom of heaven. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come equally to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, but there's also something very beautiful about the fact that everyone is welcome, whether they have much or have little, whether they uh, are esteemed much or are esteemed little or anywhere in between. Um, God welcomes all of us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Can you pray us out for today? Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for that. Um, we're thankful for that. We confess that we come to you with empty hands. We don't have anything to offer you to make us acceptable in your sight. All that we have to offer is our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. We're so thankful that by your grace you have sent the Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord, who has died for us and who has risen again from the grave, who has ascended unto heaven and one day who will return. Lord, our faith is in Jesus. And Lord, we're so thankful that through Jesus we come to God the Father Almighty. And Lord, that we can know that we are secure through Christ in our relationship with Almighty God. So help us live that way. Help us live as those who don't deem themselves to be better than anybody else. But help us live as those who understand we are great sinners who have encountered a great Savior. And that great Savior welcomes all people to come to him in repentance and faith. Help us carry that message faithfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editor is Chad Walden.